Great. Good morning to you all. It's good to be with family this morning. Uh, if we could turn to Genesis chapter 20, please, and we'll have a look there. Genesis chapter 20. Let's just pray before we open up God's word together. Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you, Father, that the Lamb has overcome. We thank you that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We thank you that he is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our advocate and we love you. We delight in you, Jesus. We consider you worthy of our worship. And Lord, we long to hear from you this morning. Our souls need to be nourished this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we open up your word from Genesis 20, that you would speak to us. We pray that your word would be to us bread from heaven, that would feed us this morning, that would build us up in our spirits, and that would send us out to glorify your name. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Speak to us. Ready our hearts to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read this together. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said, to, said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kin kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do to me. 
in every place of which we come. Save me. He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence, of the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you will be vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech. And also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This morning we're going to talk together about how God works in us and how God works through us uh, despite our weaknesses. Despite our weaknesses. Uh, One weakness I've struggled with my whole life is fear. I'm fearful of a lot of things. Fearful of spiders, fearful of snakes. You wouldn't catch me in the jungle, no matter how much money you paid me. Uh, I have an irrational fear of illness, of getting sick, of dying, Um, fear of flying, fear of rejection, fear of man. I've got lots of fears. And my confession to you this morning is that although... um, Often when I stand up and preach and I lead services, people tend to see me as a confident person. I struggle with fear. I have done for as long as I can remember. As far back as I can remember, I've struggled with this. And uh, I want to share a testimony of hope with you this morning that a young lad in my home group came and shared with me this week. And he's a little bit like me. He struggled with fear his whole life. And his most difficult battle, he would confess, is the fear of man. He openly admits that the thought of somebody disliking him or the thought of somebody rejecting him causes great anxiety in his heart. This young lad's called Johnny, and he's given me permission. I can share this with you, so I'm on safe ground. Um, But last summer, Johnny moved from his hometown where he's grown up in North Shields. He left his job, and he moved with his wife to the West End, Uh, to join us in our mission at our church, uh, to work full-time without pay uh, as a missionary, to make Jesus famous in the West End of Newcastle. Um, So part of the initial training I gave to Johnny was in one-on-one evangelism. And I remember when, I mean, he was scared enough to be in Benwell as it starts with, being from North Shields. But I remember when I took him on the streets to engage in one-on-one evangelism for the first time. And uh, he would absolutely fret at the thought of even giving somebody a flyer, never mind sharing the gospel or giving someone a gospel track. Just giving someone a flyer to tell someone about a church meeting would strike fear into his heart. And uh, he told me afterwards that as soon as we would get out of the car onto the streets, he just wanted to turn back around, get back in the car and go home. And I, I, I reflect back on that now and I remember that you know I used to be out there doing the stuff and talking with people And I would say to Johnny, just watch me, watch what I'm doing. And I would turn around and he would just be looking at his watch every two minutes, willing for that hour of evangelism to be over, you know, willing the minutes to go quicker so he could go home and have a cup of tea. And in his own words, uh, fear almost disabled him from doing any kind of public ministry. That was three or four months ago. It wasn't that long ago. 
This week, Thursday night, I arrived at this home group in colour coats. And um, Johnny sat there with a big smile on his face. And I says, what's going on? And he shared this story with me about how before the home group, he'd been in Witherspoons in Whitley Bay waiting for a friend who was late. And uh, Johnny had been sat opposite this random guy who was having a pint in Witherspoons. And he felt the Lord say to him, Johnny, you need to go and share the gospel with that man. And um, to cut a long story short, Johnny, the same Johnny who couldn't give somebody a flyer three or four months ago, got up out of his chair, walked over to this man, shared the gospel with him, fielded a whole bunch of, this guy was an intellectual guy, fielded a whole bunch of questions about the faith. Um, and after an hour of talking with, after an hour in Witherspoons of talking with this guy, Johnny was enjoying it so much that he even offered to give the guy a lift to work so he could continue sharing the gospel with him in the car. And um, after about 90 minutes together of sharing about the kingdom, this guy was just so thankful. They swapped numbers, and hopefully they're going to meet again, and Johnny's going to bring this guy to the Lord, we hope. But Johnny's story is a simple story that gives each one of us hope that God can use us in spite of our fears. But what I find most interesting about Johnny's story is what was going on in the background in the three or four months leading up to that encounter this week. When Johnny came onto the streets the first time, he struggled so badly and he would get so frustrated with himself about his own weaknesses, about his own fears. So that the next time he would come out, he would spend ages trying to work himself up into a frenzy of confidence and trying to pretend that he didn't have any fears. But you know what? It, it never worked. It never worked. He still struggled and he felt more guilt and more shame than he had done before. And then one day he was reading his Bible <clears throat> and he was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where the Apostle Paul said that to stop him from becoming conceited, God had given him a thorn in the flesh. God had given Paul some kind of human weakness. And although Paul prayed and prayed and prayed to God to take this weakness away, God left it right where it was. And God said to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And for that very reason, because God's power is made perfect when we're weak, Paul said that he would boast all the more gladly in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ could come and rest upon him. And as Johnny read this and he was in the Word, he just received a moment of revelation you know, when, when the Lord just illuminates a word in the Bible to you? That if he wanted the power of Christ, the answer wasn't to try and work up enough courage in himself, but instead the answer was to bow the knee and boast in his weaknesses. So, as random as this may sound, after the Lord said this to Johnny, Johnny started going around and telling everyone who would listen about how weak he was and how afraid he was to share the gospel. He would come into church and he would say it and he would remind us in his home group, guys, I'm so fearful, I'm so weak. And you know what? All of a sudden, as soon as he started doing that, God empowered Johnny to start sharing the gospel with strangers. And that's amazing to me because it's so opposite to how the world says that we should overcome fear by thinking positive thoughts. We're not to hide our fears, but we're to bring them into the light and where to boast about them 
that God may empower us in Christ. So I'm exercising that principle before you this morning and telling you and confessing to you that in my flesh I'm a very fearful man. I have many irrational fears that I've asked God to take away. And some he's lessened in my life, but there's a lot of them that still remain to this day. Now maybe you can relate to Johnny, and maybe you can relate to me. Maybe you've got some fears in your life that you've struggled with for a long time. Maybe you come here on a Sunday and you wish you could share some of those fears, but you think to yourself, I'm the only one who really struggles with this. And it just seems irrational and nobody would understand. If that is you, I want to assure you this morning that you are not alone. In the, in the very least, <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. Johnny's in the same boat as you. And I suspect there's many more other people in the same boat as well. You just don't know about it. I want to tell you this morning about another guy who struggled with fear. The man of God in our reading today, Abraham. We read in Genesis 12 that God handpicked Abraham. That God gave him a commission to leave his family home, home and journey to the land of Canaan. With a promise that God would make Abraham into a great, mighty nation. That God would bless him. That God would make his name great. And God even promised to him that anybody who blessed Abraham, God would bless. And anybody who cursed Abraham, God would curse. Out of the, all of the people of the earth at that time, the all-knowing God hand-picked Abraham to be the father of Israel and to be the father of the faith. In Romans chapter 4, Abraham is called an heir of the world. What a title. He's called the father of us all. He's then called the father of many nations. And Abraham's called a righteous man. Then we go on to that famous passage in Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham is held up as a hero of the faith. The writer tells us that Abraham even died in the faith, meaning that God had put a calling on Abraham's life, and Abraham kept going to the end. He did not quit. He didn't give up. He didn't lose the faith. You know, Abraham was so pivotal in God's plan that God would, God would even distinguish the one true God. People would even distinguish the one true God um, by using Abraham's name, speaking of the God of Abraham. That's an amazing thing. Imagine the God of Andy, <laughs> or the God of Sam, or the God of Rob, the God of Linda, the God of Ryan, the God of Abraham. The point I'm trying to make is that Abraham was a mighty man of God in the sight of God and the apostles. He was a man of faith. He was a man of righteousness. He wasn't a lukewarm believer. He wasn't a failure. He wasn't useless to God. He was a man of God, perfectly right with God and used mightily by God for his glory. But here's the thing. Abraham lived with irrational fears for years and years and years of his life. In our scripture reading today, Abraham and his wife Sarah travel to a territory called Gerar, which lied somewhere between the border of Egypt and modern-day Gaza. And before 
they set out to this foreign land. Abraham told Sarah to tell everybody when they got there that she was his sister. Now, that wasn't a complete lie because although Sarah was his wife, she was his half-sister. They did things like that in those days. Strange as that sounds, I'm not going to unpack that. Um, but whilst technically they were telling the truth, the two of them were still deceiving people by not confessing that they were married. And we know from verse 11 that Abraham convinced Sarah to lie because he was afraid. He was very afraid that if men knew that Sarah was his wife, they would kill him and they would take her from him. Now, Abraham didn't have any evidence that the men of Gerar were bloodthirsty or that they would rob him of his wife. He didn't know for sure that there was no fear of God in the land of Gerar. In fact, there wasn't any evidence that those things would happen at all. And as the story plays out, we see that Abimelech, the king of Gerar, was actually quite a God-fearing, righteous man. He was a man who acted in innocence. He was a man who acted in integrity, we're told in verses 5 and 6. So Abraham's fears were unfounded. They weren't based on evidence. And they were irrational. But they controlled Abraham's decision-making. And they affected his leadership in the marriage. So we have Abraham convincing Sarah to disobey God by lying to the people of Gerar all because his mind has been working overtime and he's made up this scenario in his head that would see him being killed. Now that's irrational to begin with, but Abraham had a history of being controlled by fear. This isn't the first time it had happened. If we go back to Genesis chapter 12, we read a story almost identical to this one. Abraham and Sarah traveled to Egypt because there was a famine in their land. And right before they travel, Abraham tells Sarah to play exactly the same trick. Tell them you're my sister, he says to her, because if they think you're my wife, they see how beautiful you are, they're going to kill me and they're going to take you. So this isn't a one-off. Abraham's ungodly behavior is being driven by fear of death. He's lying to the people he meets. He's lying habitually and he's lying irrationally. God had promised Abraham that he would give him children and that promise is yet to come to pass. But in these moments, Abraham this great man of God this great man of the faith forgets God's promise to him and instead he focuses on self-preservation. In forgetting the almighty God who's spoken promises over his life he starts considering the possible outcomes of entering into enemy territory and he becomes absolutely riddled with fear. He's riddled. And this becomes an ongoing struggle in Abraham's life. Now here's the thing. Many of us are exactly like Abraham. but just like him. We have a rational fear in our lives that affects our decision-making causes our hearts to become unresponsive to God's leading and hinders us from entering into enemy territory and sharing the truth of God. This world we live in is the enemy's camp. 
stating Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is the ruler of this age. And we as citizens of heaven have a calling to be foreigners in this land and to take the message of Jesus Christ to people who are far from God. Doing that, living by righteousness and living in faith and proclaiming the truth. But all too often, instead of walking by faith and instead of proclaiming the truth, we make up all kinds of scenarios in our mind of all of the bad things that are going to happen to us if we do and we end up shrinking back. We end up compromising. We end up withholding the truth from our friends, from our families, from our colleagues and other people. And we may not overtly lie to them, but we often withhold the truth about our lives and about our beliefs. Because like Abraham, we're more focused on self-preservation than on the God who has called us to fulfill the Great Commission. We're concerned that if we admit that we agree with what the Bible teaches on certain things, that we will be disliked, that we'll be marginalized, that might, oh, we might even lose our jobs. We convince ourselves that if we tell our neighbors about Jesus Christ, that our relationship might be awkward for the next few decades. And so we allow our fears to control our behavior. That's what Abraham did. He could have remembered God's promise to him that he and his wife would bear children, that God would make them into a great nation. But instead, he worried that his wife would be taken from him and he would be killed. Deep down, he was exercising a lack of faith in God's faithfulness and God's ability to bring his promises to pass. So it affected Abraham, but it didn't just affect Abraham. It affected others too. His behavior influenced Sarah to lie, and it also brought a curse on Abimelech's house. Because Abimelech was led to believe that Sarah was Abraham's sister, and therefore she was available for marriage, Abimelech took Sarah to be his own. And so a curse was brought upon his house. And we read in verse 18 that the Lord caused barrenness to fall upon Abimelech's house. In the same way, when we withhold the truth, and I've, I've done this, I confess I've done this many times, when we withhold the truth about the gospel, when we withhold the truth about what it means to live righteously before God, the effect is twofold. Firstly, we cause unbelievers to continue to live under a curse. This whole world is under a curse because we're born into sin and by choice we do sin. We live in rebellion to God. And the only solution to that curse is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only form of deliverance is the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And you and I have the only message which can lift the eternal cause of sin and death from our neighbors, from our friends, from our family, from our co-workers, and from the rest of the world. And if we withhold that truth, that Jesus died to forgive their sin and to deliver them from their sin, and he is now raised up 
as Lord of all and he's coming back and every single knee will bow before him. If we withhold that from them, we are part of the cause of them remaining under the curse of sin and death. Just as Abimelech's house was under a curse because Abraham withheld the truth. And secondly, if we're driven by fear and we withhold the truth, it gives other Christians license to do exactly the same. This was the case with Sarah. Abraham's fear spread to her and caused her to withhold the truth. If Abraham had walked confidently and confessed the truth to Abimelech and to the people of Gerar, Sarah would have done exactly the same. Our actions affect us, they influence other Christians, and they can have eternal consequences for our unbelieving friends and our unbelieving family. Now, having said all that, you might think, oh my goodness, this is not good news. Like, what hope's left? Because I know I fear, and I know I struggle with all of these things. Listen, maybe you know all of these things to be true, and, and, and you really do struggle to break that fear, like Johnny did, that prevents you from proclaiming the truth, prevents you from sharing what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. As I've said before, if that is you, you are not alone. Me, Johnny, and Abraham, and probably a fair few others, are in exactly the same boat as you. But here's what you need to know something really important you need to know. God doesn't reject you and God doesn't forsake you because you're fearful. He really doesn't. Just because your ability to obey God changes, God's promises over you do not change. He's the same yesterday, He's the same today, He is the same forever. And this is one of the lies that the enemy will sow into your life. That because you have irrational and habitual fears, that God is done with you. Hear this this morning. He is not done with you. He is not finished with you. He wasn't done with Abraham, and he's not done with you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he will bring to completion the work he started in you. If you're making notes today, I don't have any handouts like Andy does, but if you're making notes, write that down. If you're not making notes, make sure you store it in your heart. God promises that if he's brought you to trust in Jesus Christ and you've been born again, he will continue working in you until the day you stand before Jesus. What a wonderful promise that is to hold on to this morning. Even when you make bad choices, based on your irrational fears and your broken thought life, which you have, God will work to protect you and he will work to deliver you from falling away. When Abraham and Sarah lied, Sarah was taken by Abimelech. But just like God prevented Pharaoh from touching Sarah back in Genesis 12, Genesis 20 verse 6 tells us that God in his sovereign power, kept Abimelech from touching Sarah. God's hand was over that situation to deliver Sarah from Abraham and her poor choices. 
Why? Because despite Sarah's weakness, despite Abraham's weakness, despite being riddled with fear, they were both still people of faith. They were both still people who belonged to God and who God had given promises to. God promised he was going to make them into a great nation. And Sarah had been barren for decades. But you know, immediately after this whole sorry episode, God lifted her barrenness. And they had a son named Isaac, we read at the beginning of Genesis 21. In spite of their failures, God kept his promises. Listen, if if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God has given you a promise. In 1 Peter 1.5, God promises that by his power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has given you the promise of eternal life and God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. God wants to deliver you from your fears. He doesn't want you to live with fear. He doesn't want you to make bad choices that are based out of the place of fear. Yet when you do, in your weakness, he sovereignly guards you and he protects you because he is committed to your salvation. Sarah and Abraham did not deserve God's protection as they habitually withheld the truth time and time again. Yet in God's mercy, his hand was over them. He was a fortress to them in their time of weakness. He allowed Abimelech to take Sarah, but he prevented Abimelech from touching her, from defiling her. If you're in Christ, God's hand is over your life to protect you from the bad choices you make and to bring you into the promise land of eternal life with his son. What a God we have. When you make bad choices, driven by fear, you're going to experience some unpleasant consequences. But God will not allow anything to overcome you that will prevent his promise of salvation from being fulfilled in your life. God doesn't give you eternal life and then take it away. God is committed towards maturing you in love for Jesus. You are his beloved bride and helping you walk in obedience to his son's leadership in your life. That's an amazing promise. The second lie we tend to believe is that because of our problems with fear, God can no longer use us in ministry. We say, okay, well, I'm, I'm saved. I have eternal life. I'll get into heaven when I die, but he's not going to use me to extend his kingdom. I'm, I'm too fearful for that. He's not going to use me for his glory on this earth. The enemy would have you believe that too. I've, I've felt like that so many times in my life. I went through a period where every time I failed to respond to God's prompting to share the gospel with somebody or to stand on the truth of God's word, I was just convinced that that was it, that God was done with me in ministry and he was just going to close the door to me being fruitful for the rest of my days. I'm so encouraged by Abraham's story. I'm so amazed by God's grace on his life. Abraham and Sarah's lie caused Abimelech's house to be under the curse of barrenness. God closed the wombs of the women in Abimelech's house because he took Sarah thinking she was single. 
But then once Abraham confessed his sin to Abimelech, God caused Abimelech to bless Abraham. In verses 14 to 16, Abimelech gives Abraham his wife back. (laughs) Then he gives him livestock, sheep and oxen. Then he gives him some servants. I mean, that's quite a bonus. And then Abimelech offered the couple the opportunity to live wherever they wanted in the territory. Not bad if you can get it. And then, to top it all off, Abimelech gave Abraham a thousand pieces of silver to make sure everybody knew that Sarah hadn't done anything wrong, that she was vindicated, that she was innocent. Then what amazes me so much is that in verse 17, God used Abraham to pray and to lift the curse of barrenness over Abimelech's house. The very curse that Abraham and Sarah were responsible for, God lifted through the prayers of Abraham. Here's the deal. Abraham was blessed by God and he was used by God because he came into the light and he confessed his fears and the sin that was driven by fear. He confessed those things to Abimelech. God can use you. He can still use you in spite of your fears but only if you're willing to confess your fears and confess your sin and bring it into the light. God cannot use a person who's proud and who is unwilling to admit their weaknesses, but he can use a person of irrational and habitual fears who boasts in their weaknesses because when we are weak, his power is made perfect. When we boast in our weaknesses, the power of Christ comes and rests upon us when I consider the consequences of withholding the truth of the gospel um, my natural instinct is just to feel guilty and to feel shame because of my weaknesses but the problem with guilt and shame is that it pulls you away from God and his power it doesn't take you towards God and his power Jesus did not come to condemn us Jesus Christ came to save us The solution to our failure is not to wallow in guilt and to think it's somehow more holy to feel more guilty. But the solution is to confess our fears, to confess our weaknesses and allow the power of God to come and rest upon us once again. And if if we do that little thing, if we do that thing, God will indeed use us to bear fruit and to lift the curse from the lives of those around us who do not know Jesus. That was my friend Johnny's experience, and that was Abraham's experience too. Through admitting their own weaknesses, God blessed them, and God used them. You know, God's not looking for a strong people. He's not looking for a really amazing, talented group of people. He's not looking for an excellent people to extend his kingdom. God is looking for weak people who recognize they're weak but know the power, know the mercy and know the grace of their great God. Abraham's fear drove him to make unwise decisions but in God's mercy he didn't reject him but brought his promises to pass in Abraham's life. And in God's grace he continued to bestow unmerited favor on Abraham and used Abraham for his glory.
So this morning, let's not look to ourselves. Let's not look to our own abilities. But let's look to God. Let's look to Yahweh. Let's look to Jesus, who is altogether merciful, who is altogether gracious towards his people. Let's look to Jesus, whose strength is made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, we come as a, a people who confess that we sometimes fear. We sometimes fear in sharing the gospel. We sometimes fear in standing on the word of God in a, in a climate, in a culture that is becoming more politically correct, that is preaching a false tolerance, that is proclaiming a false peace. Father, we expect that the days will get darker and we expect that the climate will get cooler. And Father, we need the power of Christ to come and rest upon us that we might be the people you've called us to be, that we might be the light of the world, that we might be ambassadors for your kingdom, that we might be used in our families and in our streets, and in our neighborhoods, and in our ministries, and in our workplaces, and in our schools, and in our universities, and in our colleges, that we might be used to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we confess our fears to you. We confess our weaknesses, and we pray that we would confess our sins to one another, that you might heal us. We thank you for your promise of eternal life, that you will not take that away, but you will bring to completion the work you've begun in us. And we pray that in our weakness, your strength would be perfected and that you would use us evermore for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.